Hey, this is Corey Wong. If you are interested in guitar players, if you're interested in artists and how they think, why they create, what it is that motivates them to create, come check out my podcast, Wong Notes Podcast, where I get to interview some of my absolute heroes, people like John Mayer, Niall Rogers, Jacob Collier, Madison Cunningham, Benson, Vi, Santana, Satriani, Lukather, Matheny. Oh, the names are insane icons of the guitar, icons of artistry and creativity. I absolutely love sitting down with these musicians and getting to ask them about their creative process and get into the details of why they do what they do. Check it out, Wong Notes. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. Hey everyone, welcome back to our final episode this week with Richard Fortas of Guns N' Roses, and I'm here, I'm joined by Joe Gore. Hey, how's it going? And today's episode, we want to take a different route. Uh, we did this a little while back with Lindsay L, where we had, where we have our guest talk about one of their guitar heroes, and the one that kind of popped to the front uh, was Keith Richards. And this kind of arose from a conversation you guys started in Mexico City right before I don't want to happened. give it away, but I, I aired <laughs> I aired a controversial theory, and um, Richard was horrified and couldn't disagree more. So we, we reenacted a little bit here, but it's just super fascinating because you know, like a like a lot of us, you know, Richard is a super um, you know rock history geek, and you know knows every record and every B side and every single and and what gear was used on it and stuff like that. So he's had you know since he was a little kid, Keith Richards has been a uh, a central part of his musical firmament. So um, it gets pretty inside, and I, I think you'll find it pretty interesting if you're even uh, remotely a Keith fan. Yeah, and there's so much mythology, like you guys said, about the sessions and the guitars and everything else. and None of which we clarify, by the way. It's all just, it's all just <laughs> idle speculation. But yeah. But, I hope uh, it's but, fun. Yeah, but we hope you uh, join us in this speculation, and if you have a, a strong opinion either way on this Keith Richards topic that we hit today, we'd love to hear it. Except, except don't don't everybody gang up on me because of my crackpot theory, okay? <laughs> I, I know it's kind of a crackpot theory. You can hit us up at chasingfrets at premierguitar.com with all of your crackpot theories about Rolling Stones and Keith Richards mythology. So with that intro, we should just hop right to it, and here's our conversation with Richard Fortas about Keith Richards. Richard, so we're going to wrap up this week. Uh, one fun thing we like to do occasionally with our guests is to uh, have a, a longer talk about one of their prime guitar heroes. And the one that came to mind for you that we talked about was Keith Richards. So tell us a little bit about the first time you heard Keith and what track was it? Um, I, I think probably I'd heard Jumping Jack Flash. And I remember when I was a little kid, there was like a... Uh, my father had a one of the first VCR recorders in the U.S. He traveled to Japan a lot for his job and uh, brought home a early VHS tape that was or recorder that was like the size of a television. It was huge, and uh, I recorded. Uh, I think it was it, it was a uh, like history of rock and roll. And, you know, this is in the 70s. So it basically went through the 50s and 60s um, and into the 70s. And I watched that 
so many times. And there was the video, the original video for Jumpin' Jack Flash, which, you know, where Mick Jagger has the the war paint on his face. I don't know, Keith Richards has the big fly sunglasses and Brian Jones. Yeah. So, and it, it just really, that makes such an impact on me. It's, you should probably mention who your dad was and what he did. Cause it's pretty interesting for an audience of guitarists. <laughs> my father, my father was one of, uh, he was involved with a company called St. Louis music and they made Electra guitars and, uh, Alvarez guitars. So they were, and they, they were manufactured in Japan, which is why he would go to Japan. Um, and then they would import them and, you know, do all the promotion and sold, you know, like a, a lot, it was the Matsumoko factory. So a lot of, uh, you know, same factories like the Ibanez stuff. And, you know, this is in the seventies and that's, yeah. So that's where he came from. And, uh, uh, later they, they had crate amps. They started crate amplifiers and then Ampeg. They bought Ampeg. I just love that story. But please back to, you, you know, you're talking about jumping Jack Flash. What was, what was the, uh, what was your next uh, degree of engagement? Um, I got hot rocks and I, I, I got it from my school library, which is a, for those that don't know, hot rocks was like the great, a greatest hits it was a double album, greatest hits of, of uh, the stones. And so I brought it home and I used my cassette recorder and recorded <laughs> the album. And uh, yeah, so that got me hit to all of the hits, you know, and had you started playing guitar by this time? Uh, no, I was still playing drums. I started out on violin and drums um, mm. when I was about four. And I started on the Suzuki method and played violin all through school and played drums up until, you know, in different bands and stuff up until the time I was about 13. And at that point, I discovered guitar and forgot about drums. So what was the what was the first Stone song you learned on guitar? First Keith Richards riff that you Pro- Jumping Jack Flash probably yeah. How long was it before you realized yeah. it was recorded on a cheap cassette machine and not played through an amp? That was uh, st- I thought that was Street Fighting Man. Uh, I I think Jumping Jack Flash was too, but I defer to you because you know a lot more about it than I do. Um, that's I thought it was Street Fighting Man. The, the Yeah, it was. It was for sure. I was under the impression that Jumpin' Jack Flash was too, as well. But I'd never heard that. So I'd never heard that. Then you're. Then I'm probably wrong. So and you know, Andy Johns told me that uh, that whole thing about waking up in the middle of the night and turning on the tape recorder and playing uh, Satisfaction said that's all BS because they didn't have cassette recorders then. They didn't have little recorders like that. And Keith didn't have one in his bedroom. And he goes, "That's all." folklore which i always thought was interesting Uh, but yeah there's well there's there's a lot there's a you know does anyone have more folklore associated with them than than keith you know indeed did you have a chance to see the stones live when you were a kid oh yeah yeah i saw them on uh it was the 81 jovan tour i think i was like maybe 11 or 12 and what what was your what was your impression of seeing seeing him in person as an 11 or 12 year old it was, I mean, they were, it was so much larger than life. I'm, and it was an indoor show. It wasn't a stadium show. And they had that stage that sort of looked like a flower. And uh, it, it was just, you know, Mick was wearing the football pants during that period. 
And uh, yeah, it was it was very impactful on a young mind. Stop me if this is out of line, but um, uh, you were um, roommates for housemates for a long time with Marianne Faithful. Uh, not a long time, but but yeah, when I first moved to New York, um, uh, an A and R person that worked at um, my label um, for the first Love Spit Love album, uh, she was roommates with Marianne and they had an extra bedroom. So I rented that bedroom. Um, yeah. Did you pick up any stones lore from Mar- uh, Marianne? I did not. I was so shy. I didn't want to, you know, <laughs> I didn't want to get into it. I, 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 I made that mistake. I, I, I don't know her well. I just played a few shows with her once a few years ago. And I asked her something about uh, technical detail about, uh, uh, beggar's banquet um you know after talking about other stuff for hours and then just she just kind of turned around and looked out the window of the van and muttered under her breath i just knew sooner i just knew you're going to ask me something idiotic like that sooner or later <laughs> but she was you know she was witness to history because she was on all those you know late 60s you know sessions yeah and, of course yeah of course so this is the great debate question <laughs> do we want to get into it i don't know do we this 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 whole conversation started in Mexico City as uh, the COVID was starting to grip the world. I'm not sure I want to go on record saying what I said, but oh, what the hell, it's too late. I've come to have suspicions whether that's Keith playing the sympathy for the devil solo. And, and I completely disagree. Absolutely not. That to me is so Keith Richards. And and I we've we've been back and forth. <laughs> I think that was the question I asked Marianne that where she said that, that you know I knew you were going to be an idiot. Yeah, you told me, and she and you said that she said, uh, well, I suppose it would have been Keith. You, you know, it right? was like, yeah, it was like, well, I mean, because she really does talk like Abfab, you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was like I, I suppose it would be Keith. He, he is the guitar player. So what isn't suspicions? He? You know, right. you do know Keith, don't you, darling? You know, like. right, right. Yeah, I, I believe it's Keith. What suspicions do you have, Joe, that it is not just intuition, or is there something? Here we go. Well, it's it's funny because years ago there was a a book about the greatest solos of all time, and I had done the Sympathy for the Devil uh, essay, you know, taking at face value that it was that it was Keith, and you know, there's the obvious point. It's it's really unique among among Keith's output. You know, he's not really a linear solo kind of guy. And that, talk about your folklore. I mean, the folklore around that session is just, you know, mind-blowing. You know, it was being filmed by uh, the great French filmmaker Jean-Luc Godard. And, um, uh, you know, they, uh, Mick apparently was writing the lyrics like straight out of the headlines you know when he's you know when he sings i shouted out who killed the kennedys that was like a week right. after bobby kennedy was shot i mean it was going like straight right. from the headlines and 1968 was just such a tumultuous time and paris was revolution in the streets and you know riots in the u.s and it was just this intense focused weird episode um, presumably a great deal of drugs were involved so it was just this just standing from outside, this is no special insider knowledge. It just seemed like this bizarre once in a lifetime catalyst of crazy energy that produced this, you know, extraordinary record. And I was harping on about something like that. And then, um, but then in recent years, we've started hearing, um, you know, isolated tracks from classic rock recordings where you could 
take all the sympathy tracks and hear them part by part and, you know, Beatles tracks and so forth, which is for which I'm very grateful. I've learned so much from yep, listening to those me things. Too. And I was, I was listening to, um, uh, I think it was the soloed guitar from Gimme Shelter. And I just thought, no, that's not the same pair of hands on sympathy. Um, I, 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 we're on, we're on video and Richard is like nodding is, is, is like looking at me like you are freaking crazy, man. <laughs> he does, he does not agree. I've heard it. I just, I don't, I don't, I'm not buying it. Just not buying it. To me, <laughs> I think that, you know what, at that point, you know, you say that about key single note type of linear lines, but man, it's, I don't mean it. I don't mean it. I don't mean to put down, but it's not his. No, I understand. Really but listen saying. to the early Stones with Brian. Like listen to yeah. you know the all the covers they're doing um, last time and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Like, and he's playing those note those lines down and but I guess what it you know because a year or so the year after. Um, I guess uh, about two years after Sympathy came out, they did the famous Get Your Yayas Out tour. Right. And the the live album from that was, you know, just a huge record. And right. it's something I, you know, hired as a child and, you know, made a huge impression on me. And you hear both Keith and Mick Taylor, the then second guitarist, uh, soloing over the tune. And when Keith solos, it's a it's a fabulous solo. I used to, when I was a guitar teacher, I would often use it as like, a, you know, as a... Uh, beginner learning pentatonics solo sure. exercise and it sounds it sounds like what we think of as keith um right right it's it's terrific but it's like it sounds like you know yep that's that's my man keith there and but um, but the space and all that in this in that solo the space that happens i mean that's keith to me i mean that's i, I don't know it, it's and anybody listening richard knows more about this stuff so if he and i disagree definitely go with Richard. <laughs> I don't know that I know any more than you do. Um, I mean, besides like, I never had this conversation with Andy Johns when he was alive. I wish that, you know, I could call him and ask him. Um, but, but I don't know any, I mean, I don't have any insight into it really other than the same as you. Yeah, no, I mean, this is just, I'm just speculating as a fan. This is just, this is just me BSing, but, um, it's the, you know, maybe it has to do with, uh, like the way he, you know, the way he approaches pitch and vibrato, like the, the, you know, what I think of as the Keith voice is it, it, it tends, it, there is no vibrato on that. Um, no, you get some, <laughs> you get some sting on those high notes. A little bit, a little bit, but in that remedial way that is key. Okay. I, <laughs> the, la the last time we had this conversation was in Mexico City, like, Basically, the night before COVID destroyed the world. Yeah, <laughs> and then we both went scurrying that was, home. That was the uh, you were doing an album there. I was doing the only show of what was supposed to be our South American leg, and uh, we played that one show, and then we were all sent home. Yeah, I bet that was probably Mexico. the last big concert in Mexico since the the virus. It was probably the last big concert in the world. I would. It was real. I mean, this right? was, and then it was. It was literally like the, you know, the next day or so. You know, everybody got rushed home. You know, you you guys all flew home, and yeah, we didn't think that concert was going to happen. You know, our management was trying to get us out of it. Have you uh, have you ever uh, have you had a chance to meet Keith? Yes, and his son is a good friend of mine, Marlon. If I did, if I did, I'd be chicken to ask him. Oh hell yes, yeah, absolutely. 
Oh, absolutely. It's Keith Richards. I was chicken to say hi. I, I, was, I was on tour once with Tracy Chapman, and he was staying in the same, uh, at the Mandarin Oriental in Knightsbridge um, at the same time we are. And I kept running into him and his bodyguard, like in the stairways and the elevators. And um, he'd sort of make eye contact, but I just did not say anything, you know, uh, you know, from doing music journalism for years, you know, you don't do the fan thing. Yeah. And then later, goddammit, I realized I could have said, because we both played on Tom Waits' Bone Machine, and I could have said, hey, we both played with Tom. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I didn't. So, no, I've never met Keith. I've, I swapped a glance with him. Man, that's the perfect, that's the perfect in. That's the perfect opening line. Well, I'm a dumbass, you know. I love that record. Um, but... Um, he was impressive, you know, it's like his, you know, he was just like, uh, he was sort of dressed in like kind of country squire tweeds, yeah, yeah. you know, he, he looked, he looked like, uh, he looked like rural gentry in a very high-end sort of way, and really, he just looked bright-eyed and sharp. Yeah. My friend Matt Brubeck was playing with Sheryl Crow, and they got invited up to Keith's play, old place in, in New York City, and, uh, you know, you know, Matt also, you know, grew up on the Stones and was quite in awe. The one on Great Jones Street? It, it was upstairs from the old Tower Records. Yes, yeah. the Great Jones, yeah. And, uh, you know, this, they knocked on the door, and uh, Keith opens it a crack and says, uh, me old man's here, so don't do anything I wouldn't do. Uh, <laughs> that limits you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, this is such a great way to wrap up today's episode, Richard. Thanks so much for hanging with us this week. and Man, this has been great. Thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure, Richard. Always always a delight. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I always love talking to you. All right. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>